Maybe the biggest concern with the church today is this apparent lack of the Holy Spirit's power. I mean, when you read the New Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit was supposed to change everything. When Jesus was on the earth, he was getting ready to die and he gathers his disciples together and Jesus says, don't worry because I'm gonna send someone else. In fact, this is gonna to be to your advantage. It's better than having me on the earth. Now jump forward a couple thousand years. Now, you go to a building, you sit in a chair, you sing a few songs, a guy delivers maybe a polished message, maybe not. You go home. Isn't it the same Holy Spirit that's supposed to be available to us today? Why is it so different? And don't you see, this is what God wants today. You believe he wants that today. Yes. We want it today, Lord. We can't live without you, God, your Holy Spirit's presence in our midst. I love Francis Chan. It's not Jackie Chan. Uh, it's Francis Chan. And I've always loved his desperation for the Holy Spirit. If you've ever seen him speak, a lot of times after worship, he'll just be up on his knees just saying, God, help me to get out of your way. You do your thing here. We need your Holy Spirit. So desperate for the Holy Spirit. So dependent on the Holy Spirit. He actually wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. Wow. Like the forgotten God in the Godhead. We talk about God the Father and God the Son all the time. But the forgotten God of the Holy Spirit that Jesus left behind is with us. In that book he said this. If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes... One of my main strategies would to get, be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. George Barna is a researcher and an ad, analyst of faith communities and churches and Christian leadership. And he says this, nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend Christian church say there is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power and presence. Jesus didn't think so. The verse that he shared in John 17, Jesus makes maybe the most humble admission in his whole ministry when he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus believed that God living in us was way better than God living with us. And we see the evidence of that because the inflection point in the change of the disciples, really the game changer, the watershed moment, they were just ham hocks and this motley crew of people that were here and there and hot and cold when they were lit on fire by God at Pentecost. Everything changed because they didn't just walk with God. They were indwelt by God in his spirit. 
and his power from the inside out changed them. Have you ever tried to change from the outside in and how difficult that extrinsic experience with God is, that exoskeletal experience of God without is different than the inside out experience of life change? This week, on Monday, we met with our leadership team, 11 of us, the LAT, the leadership advisory team, our elders here, we meet once a month. And on Monday, my vice chair, Marcus Burton, a few days prior to us meeting, said, can we just take some time? We typically pray, but just for extended prayer. Extended prayer for our body, for ourselves, for our leadership, for our community. And I thought, that's, that's a great idea. That, that would be wonderful. And so we came in and Marcus shared some verses from Isaiah. He'd been reading with some of the guys he meets for discipleship. And I could tell even as he was sharing some of these profound nuggets found in Isaiah, just something strangely different was happening in my heart. I began to even be emotional as he was sharing those things. And as I look back, it was nothing less than just God's spirit saying, I think I'm going to decide to show up and be a part of this agenda if you don't mind. And so we went into a time of prayer and I just sensed God wanted us to be quiet just for a little bit and to listen for the Holy Spirit to speak into every one of our leaders' hearts a word that they would pray into our body and over our body. Now, when you say that's something that we want to do, there's always the risk that nothing happens and everybody's like, that was weird, right? Which is why we don't do things like this because we don't want to put our reputation at risk. What if nothing happens? We'll be more disappointed than if we just go in our own strength and power and our own words. But I believed, I was confident, God, you want to speak words into every leader in this room. And we need those words from your spirit. So we sat in quietness and stillness for a while until, I think it was Sherry, said, I heard the word dependence. And she spoke that word into and over our body. And I could feel my spirit say, that was, that was a word from God. I believe the next person that prayed, prayed for surrender. An absolute surrender of God. Just we give you control. We come underneath you. We submit to you. And he prayed that over our church. And the next one prayed for orientation. He said, God, I heard orientation that we want to orient ourselves toward you from the disorientation, distraction of the world. We want to point ourselves towards you and orient ourselves toward you, God. And the next one prayed for holiness to come into our body that we would recognize a pure life is what will allow his presence to pervade our church. And as that person was praying holiness, I was already starting to cry. I just could feel like the thick, palpable presence of God in our midst. We weren't going on our own power with our own words. He was giving us words. And I heard the Lord just say, the fear of the Lord... And even the acts, it said the fear of the Lord seized the church. And I was like, God, I just want to be afraid of doing this without you. 
And I was crying and just saying, God, give us a reverence for you and a respect and an honor and a fear of you. And as I was praying, I just could sense, like, I didn't think about the past, where I came from or where I was going. I didn't have to imagine some imaginary friend in the sky and picture Jesus on a throne. It was like he was there. And I didn't have to work at trying to make him, in my mind, conjure him up. He was there. And it was like the place was pregnant with God's spirit. I don't feel this all the time. You probably think every day of the week you're a pastor and you feel this access to God. I don't. A lot of times I just feel like, where are you? And then Marcus started praying and he wept in the presence of God, just saying, God, we love you so much. And I could feel this warmth wrap around my body. And I could feel all fear and all restlessness leave my whole being and this, this love and this warmth wrapped around me and this joy. I was in the presence of God and it came to an end and we just sat there stunned and I opened my eyes and just tears were pouring down people's faces, people that are more cerebral and more analytical and some are more emotional and more relational. It didn't matter who you were, God showed up and we sat in stone silence in the presence of God like, man, the tornado of his spirit touched down in this place. And then even as we went through the agenda the rest of the night, I just sensed, man, it's different going through an agenda and going through business with the Holy Spirit than without him. And God moved in our midst. And I was like, oh, God, I want more of that. This week I spent time scouring the book of Acts looking for Holy Spirit activity. I copied every verse on Tuesday where the Holy Spirit was mentioned and took notes on what he inspired and changed and produced in the church and in the world. I wanted to take a journey through the book of Acts to learn about the person and the work of God's spirit, to open our hearts and our church to a fresh work of the Holy Ghost in this new decade of our church that we're walking into. Could it be there is more that we are missing something huge in our relationship with God? So I'm just gonna read these verses that speak of the Holy Spirit and what he did in the early church and just some words that came to my heart as I interpreted those things for our church in this moment of time, in this hour, in our church's history. And Acts 1, 4 through 5 said this before Jesus ascended to heaven. He said, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, the Holy Spirit, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Imagine if we had a Holy Spirit in a tub up here and we could just have you come up and be like in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and just submerge you in the Spirit and you come up enveloped by him. Wow. This reminds me of just being in a pool early in the year, going to Murray Lake early in the year, and the water's not necessarily warm yet, and it's your first time going in, and you want to get on, like, in the back of the pontoon, the ladder to go up to your ankles and your shins and then your knees and then your groin area, which is painful. 
and then up to your abdomen and your chest and slowly get in. He's like, no, I want to baptize you. I don't want you to just go in slowly. I wrote this out of the verse. I can't expect to live with freedom and fire, confidence and conviction, peace and passion if I am not letting myself be completely baptized by the Holy Spirit. I must stop receiving him in measured, reasonable installments. I must let him dump on me entirely, covering and filling the whole of me. This isn't like some spiritual sponge bath or tender little bed bath that we give each other. It isn't wading gingerly into a cold lake up to your shins and playing waist deep in the kitty end of the pool. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience of being plunged into full immersive presence of the Holy Spirit, submitted and surrendered to his leadership and lordship. There isn't a part of me kept for myself, left dry and untouched by him. He receives the whole of who I am because I offer all of myself while at the same time receiving the fullness of who he is, wrapped up in him like amniotic fluid in a womb where my life and the Spirit's life are Exchanged effortlessly, not knowing exactly where the one ends or the other begins, I in him and he in me. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was looking at the Harvest Bible devotional and it said this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs when the Spirit of God comes on a believer and the Holy Spirit fills the believer believer's mind with a genuine understanding of truth, takes possession of the believer's abilities, and imparts gifts that qualify the believer for service in the body of Christ. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Jesus went on in Acts chapter 1 and he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit changed everything in the early church. This is where the wildfire began. I wrote this, I can't expect to have the energy and strength I need in life unless or until I am hooked up to the power source of God's spirit. Generating my own energy with sheer willpower and shallow thrill power alone will burn me out and my faith won't survive the fires of this life. But when the Spirit's power falls fresh on me and fills my heart, I can't help but spread it to others. This power here in the Greek is the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's a dynamite relationship with God, a power to do things in our own strength we cannot do. We lose power around here all the time. Remember a couple months ago where that big wind came in and the power goes out? And I don't know what your house is like, but the thing that's most devastating to our house is sleeping without fans. I mean, the power can go out, but we need fans. And so the first thing happens, all of a sudden, and the fans go out and our kids start coming down from, because they're all addicted to fans as well. 
And they start coming down and you're getting out your phone and you're turning on the flashlight and you're going out and like, where in the world are the flashlights? So you're looking out in the garage and it's just mayhem out there and, and this maelstrom of, of just movement is taking place in the house and you're looking for lamps and old wedding candles from the cal, you know, candelabra and you're looking for Yankee candles and, and you're looking for where's the lighter? Where's the matches? Where are they? Where's this stuff? And all the energy to try to get power has started. And so you go out in the garage and you have your generator and you don't know if you got fuel, so you're looking for fuel and you pour it and then you get the generator and it won't start. So you go inside to your kids and say, don't open the refrigerator, don't open the freezer. When you take a poop or you take a pee, don't flush the toilet. This is what it's like when the church doesn't have power. We frantically have to generate it ourselves. And I hate when I know I'm doing stuff on my own because I'm so depleted at the end of my day, at the end of my conversations with my life when we're fighting, my wife when we're fighting, at the end of my kids. I'm like, this is all just without the power, our, our, us trying to produce light and power and heat and energy in this house. We need you to turn the power back on, God. That's the Holy Spirit. Without power, everything that's normally easy becomes laborsome and difficult. Could this be what the church is like without the Holy Spirit. People running around like chickens with their heads cut off, producing energy from their own willpower and skill power and throw power. It's not lasting and it's not effective. And it doesn't turn God on and it doesn't turn the world on around us. Just seems like another frenetic, frantic place to be a part of that's life and soul killing rather than life giving. We need the Holy Spirit. Corey Ten Boom said this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, it says this in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, 120 of them, and suddenly, like the sound of a blowing and violent wind, which is pneuma, which is what the Spirit is, wind or breath, came from heaven. God breathed on them, and the whole place, the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed like little tongues of fire, little pilot lights of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. I wrote, I can't expect to connect to the hearts of other people that are truly foreign to me without the enabling interpretation of the Holy Spirit. His fire must rest like a pilot light on my head, helping me understand things and communicate things that I don't have the ability to comprehend on my own. He's the divine translator who demolishes all confusion in relationships and guides them into unifying and clarifying truth. Do you know him? Sometimes you'll hear me pray here, God, help me to talk in a language that people understand. I'm asking for the gift of tongues. I'm asking for interpretation so that at Pentecost, when I'm talking with my mouth in this sort of English language, everybody's hearing it in a language they understand because that's what happened at Pentecost in Jerusalem. 
I remember this one time, and I, I've never spoken in tongues before. You know, there have been times I'm in the shower just practicing. I got a necktie, you got a bow tie, I got a necktie, you got a Hyundai, I got a, you know, I just, you got a Subaru, I got a Hyundai. I, I, it, it's never come to me, and that isn't what the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues even is. You don't try to speak the Holy Spirit. You're just speaking your language, and it's coming out a different thing. And people are hearing something you didn't even say. That's when God's spirit comes. I remember I was at a conference in California with Jim Nora. And I came into this like lobby area and all the tables were out selling their wares and just different ministry resources. And this guy came up to me and he, he limped up to me and then he started talking. And it was like this, oh, you're still my Tears are coming down his face. I could not distinguish anything he was saying. And he was crying and I knew he was saying something. And I knew I wanted to hear him in the worst way. And all I knew was the language of a hug. And I'm, I love the language of a hug. But I just hugged him and I said, brother, I can't understand you. But I know you're feeling something. I want you to know I love you. And while I was hugging him, I said, God, if you give me the ability to hear what this guy is saying, give me the gift of tongues to understand understand him because he needs to connect with me and I need language, Lord. And I backed away and he started talking and nothing changed about what he was talking. But in my brain, I heard everything he was saying as clear as day. One moment I couldn't understand, the next moment I understood it. And I looked at him, I said, brother, I can hear everything you're saying. I understand everything you're saying. Now speak it out into my heart. Whatever you want to say, I can hear you. God's given me the ability to understand you. And he poured it out. And I hugged him and I said, God, thank you so much for the gift of giving me language and interpretation and him the ability to share with me. We need that in our world. Acts chapter 2, it goes on. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all the people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. That's what we're about this year, the next generation. And your old men will dream dreams. And we love that when that happens. Even on my servants, the, the low lives, the people that are on the outside looking in, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy, which means they're going to speak truth. Every one of them. They're going to wait for their pastor. God's going to unleash his spirit on everybody. I said this, I can't expect to see with God's eyesight and to feel with his heartbeat unless the spirit of the living God shows me his visions and his dreams through men and women, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. Only the Holy Spirit can unleash our tongues to speak truth into each other's lives. When left to our own devices, we would rather stay silent. He gives us the words that set the captives free. Aren't you sick of saying when people ask you questions, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, I don't know. No more of that when God's spirit is poured out on us. We're like, I do know, and I have words to say and speak, and I'm going to prophesy truth into you right now. Do we need that worse than bad in a world of lies? Goes on in Acts 2.38, Peter replied, and he was preaching to people. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't expect a Holy Spiritless salvation. 
We believe in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, but we actually receive the gift of the Spirit to live inside of us as our counselor and comforter. Jesus isn't in your heart. He's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us as our high priest. The Spirit who is living inside of you is living inside of you. And the sooner you realize that, sooner you get comfortable calling him by name and walking with him. In Acts chapter 4, verse 7, it says, They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power and what name did you do this? They had just healed someone. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We can't expect yesterday's filling to be enough for today's challenges. Not anymore. You are inhabited by God's spirit when you get saved, but you are filled with his spirit day by day, moment by moment. If Peter was filled with the spirit of God in Acts 2 and then filled again with the spirit in Acts 4, we must constantly be in a posture of emptying ourselves of pride and control in order to allow God's spirit to fill us anew, moving from simply residing in our heart to presiding in our hearts, where we throughout the day are dethroning ourselves and enthroning him as Lord of our lives. And that takes a practicing of his presence throughout the day, saying, God, fill me with your spirit anew in this moment. This morning's filling isn't enough for this afternoon's needs. They were filled again and again and again. Not saved again and again, filled again and again. It says in Acts 6, now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. We can't expect to possess grace and power to overcome opposition without God's spirit, spirit whispering wisdom into our minds before we open our mouths. And some of you really need the spirit of God. <laughs> Moving about in human wisdom is utter foolishness. The only truth bombs that the enemy of our souls cannot stand up against is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit guarding and guiding us through seasons of resistance. We are dumb people without his wisdom. I love that wisdom is wisdom. You're either dumb or you got wisdom. And the spirit whispers to your mind that before you open your mouth, he whispers to your brain. And you have wisdom that the enemy can't stand against. We need his Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 26 and 29. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Lots of stuff happening in Jerusalem and Gaza these days. And we pray for God's spirit to come over them even now. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah in a scroll. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
This is what's called a divine appointment where God gives you a prompting and it doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to go stand by that chariot for real. That's weird. Problem is, he was reading Isaiah, and he didn't know that. And he immediately, when he stood next to him, he said, could you help me understand the book of Isaiah? And he led him to the Lord and baptized him in the moment. But you have to do the first silly thing, which is go stand next to the chariot. And everything inside of your American brain that's not reasonable, it's not rational, unless you give me the next like set of intel, I'm not doing that. That's weird. We can't expect for God to keep speaking to us by his spirit if we continually talk ourselves out of what he's asking us to do because it doesn't make sense to us or might seem weird to somebody else. God's spirit longs to speak to us throughout each day, giving us directives that lead us away from boring religion into the adventure of following the living and moving God. If we want the Holy Spirit to keep asking things of us, we can't keep dismissing his promptings. A couple days ago, I was minding my business at Starbucks. I had my coffee, and R.J. Boudreaux came in, and he had some coffees and gave him a hug. I'm like, what are you doing this morning? He said, well, this morning, I just sensed in my spirit I had to go to this house. This kid hasn't been coming to school, and I'm his counselor, and I really love this kid, and he's been going through a lot. He has a hard life, and I just sensed God wanted me to go over to the house, knock on the door, and ask his mom if I can get him out of bed and bring him to school. And so he did. And the kid was out with him in the car and he stopped by Starbucks to get him a coffee and to get himself a coffee. And some of us, we just don't listen to God. And I told him, I said, you have no idea if this one kid's gonna look back at this one moment in his life and said, I was about ready to ruin my life. But there was a guy who came to my house who rustled me out of bed and I told him, get the F out of my house, and he wouldn't leave. And then he got me a coffee and took me to class and told me he loved me and took me to Meyer and took me to places to get a homecoming outfit and finally bought me one on Amazon so I could go to homecoming, which is tonight. The Spirit will ask you to do things. Will you listen and obey? R.J. Boudreaux just, I don't know, he brings me to shame. Because he's just doing whatever God's telling him to do these days. And I've been around long enough, I just am like, eh, that doesn't sound reasonable. Or I don't have time. Or that's weird. We need the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.31, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. We can't climb out of depression, anxiety, and fear without recognizing our need for the supernatural encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Human affirmation and appreciation will last for a moment, but the peace and strength available through God's spirit holds us together when everything seems to be falling apart. The courage that comes from the spirit galvanizes us to keep singing in the middle of the storm. We need Holy Spirit encouragement, church. Hex 10, it goes on. Are you bored yet? Acts 10, 43 through 45, all the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit, Spirit came on all who heard the message. That'd be cool today, wouldn't it? And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. 
We can't expect our church to be anything more than empty words and going through the motions if God's spirit doesn't accompany the preaching of his word. He will never, will never leave astonished if we turn the Bible into dead logic, mere tips and techniques. Satan doesn't care if we come to church so long as the spirit never comes upon the church while we're listening to his word. The word of God without the spirit of God is like a body without breath. Will the spirit come on us today or will we just come to church? Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 16, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. That's what I long for. When anybody steps up here to speak, Spirit, come with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Or we just have the human spirit that inspires us rather than the Holy Spirit that changes us. I read a quote in my research this week that stopped me dead in my tracks. Aidan Wilson Tozer said that if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Acts keeps delivering truth bombs about the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, verse 2, it said, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went to Seleucia and sailed there to Cyprus. We can't expect the Holy Spirit to show up when I'm worshiping something other than Jesus. All the idols I bow down to that mean the world to me must be torn down with the worship of the one true God. Throughout the day, my heart must be given over to prayers of dependence and songs of praise to the one worthy of my deepest affections, Jesus Christ. I must make time for fasting and worship and prayer if I desire the Holy Spirit's anointing on my life. Most of the time when I'm in my car, I'm not listening to country music. I'm not listening to the top pop songs these days. I'm not just listening to anything. I don't have enough time for that. I have to posture my heart to listen to worship music so my heart can worship and I can pray throughout the day because I'm doing things that require a need for his presence in my life. Are you living a life that needs worship God? Through worship and fasting and prayer, the anointing came on them in that moment. We need the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, it says, the word of the Lord spread throughout the region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit in the middle of that kind of resistance. We can't expect anything other than a joyless existence without a joy-inducing presence of the Holy Spirit. God never promises a life without conflict or suffering or criticism. He gives us access to a bottomless reservoir of joy that we tap into when our lives feel under attack. The first three fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, and peace. You cannot find these things long-term apart from the happy, holy spirit of the living God. 
In the last few weeks, it's been all kinds of controversy and opposition and naysayers and haters at Impact. Lowell Chatter's been chattering it up. And I've been getting kind of emails and I've been getting different things. And uh, people have been emailing me like, hey, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you don't take that personally. I hope that doesn't dissuade you from what God's doing. I'm lifting you up. I'm interceding for you. It's really, really awesome. I had somebody, I posted something underneath the post. They said, F you, I hate your marriage, which is a really weird thing to say. But this person in animus came against me and another one wrote me and he says, I'm gonna just send stuff to your inbox until you listen to me and do what I say and they're coming after me. And I don't know how to explain this, but I just took it as a backhanded compliment that God's on the move. If there's resistance, there, if there's resistance with the Holy Spirit, there can be joy. That doesn't make sense to the world. They can't have joy until all of the circumstances are perfect. We don't wait for perfect circumstances. We can live in the joy of God under unbelievably painful circumstances because he fills us with joy in his presence. Acts 15, 27 to 29, therefore we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, blood, meat strangled from animals. Don't do that in hunting this year. Don't strangle them, just shoot them. And from sexual immorality, you'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. I've always loved this passage when it comes to decisions we make as a church. We can't expect anything other than destructive decisions in our lives when we stop marrying the voice of Christian community with the voice of the Holy Spirit. We will struggle to understand God's will and God's word without bringing our presuppositions and interpretations to others to obtain accurate conclusions. Collective discernment helps us say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What hell on earth could be avoided with this safeguard in our church? You don't just follow the Spirit. You bring what the Spirit's saying to Christian community so you can say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should do this. Acts 16, 6 through 7, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Pergia and Galatian, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. We can't expect God's protection without having and heeding the Holy Spirit's caution regarding places we go and people we interact with. One of the greatest contributions that the Spirit of God makes in our life is his providence of prevention. There are dangers we never experience because he makes us wary and unsettled in our spirit, stopping us from doing something that would lead to our demise. The Holy Spirit is our divine guardian. You need the Spirit of God inside of you to say, no, don't go, don't do it. Remember Heidi's mom and dad, sometimes she'd ask to go do something and they're like, we just don't have peace in our spirit about that. That's enough. 
We don't have all the reasons why and all the one, two, threes and the ABCs and the XYZs. We just don't sense in our spirit that's a good idea. We have warning signals and sirens going off inside in our spirit. The untold dangers that we avoid when we have the spirit of God warning us of things and preventing things and stopping us from things in our life with people and places that will kill us. You need the Holy Spirit. And you know you've walked with yourself and without the Holy Spirit. And some of the things that could have been avoided in all of our lives, I can speak of hundreds of things that I just did not have the Spirit's governance and his superintending in my life and his wisdom to not do things that I wanted to do. We need the Holy Spirit. I remember one time I was on... The way home from Des Moines, we were visit, visiting Heidi's family in Iowa. We didn't have kids yet, and we we're on our way home. I had what I called the gray ghost. It was an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme 1992, and it was an old person's vehicle. And it's one you go over tracks, and it's just soft. One of those old people's cars. I love that car. It's my first car I ever bought. We're on our way home, and I thought one of the things that was strange is from Des Moines all the way home, it was like 586 miles, and we were an hour from the house, and I still had a quarter tank of gas, and, and, and we had just gone as if God was like pouring gas in our tank, like the widow that had oil inside of like, you know, the barrel. It just kept coming. I remember telling Heidi, we haven't stopped for gas. I got a quarter tank left. We're going to make it all the way home when usually we stop once at least to get home. And so my, my heart was like, God, is this like a miracle I'm experiencing here? Or is there like a 70 mile an hour wind blowing me like a ship back to Ohio? But there was this one moment in time that we, it was late at night. There was about an hour left. I was really, really tired after a 10-hour trip. And in front of me, around like this corner, I saw this car, these two lights ahead of me. And I was like, you know, have you ever done this where you're like, if that car came over into my lane, what would I do? And so I was watching the car and I was looking at the landscape and the farmland and the woods that were over here and over here was a big drop off. I'm like, if he came into my lane, would I go this way or that way? I'm literally construing this in my mind. I'm like, I think I'd go over this bank and then kind of come back up and around to avoid him. I am not kidding you. Literally about 35 to 40 seconds later, the two lights that were coming down the road, one split, I thought I was like, hallucinating they split in half and one came it was two motorcycles one was coming over into our lane and I pulled off the side of the road where I had envisioned going came back down Heidi was in the car with me I swung around back up on the road and we came on the pavement it was like and we're pointing at this guy like riding his scooter down the road or his motorcycle and I remember telling my wife this I knew that was gonna happen I saw it in my mind, babe. And she's like, I don't care. She's like panting and breathing. Like, what in the world is that? And what I did as a guy, I'm like, I'm chasing that guy down and bringing him to justice, you know? So I go after him. My wife's like, what are we going to do if we catch him? Finally, we caught him and he's like kind of going, I think he was drunk or wanted to commit suicide. And we turned around, went home. I'll never forget that God just gave me a vision and warned me of something before it happened. How many times has your life been saved and you don't even know it was God who saved it? We need a spirit. The last verse today is ironically my life verse found in Acts 20, 22 to 24. And now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
with the Spirit, you can go into the unknown. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Thanks, Holy Spirit. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We can't expect to finish the race and complete our personal mission on earth if we neglect the compulsions and warnings of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who carries us into the unknowns without fear paralyzing us in place. When we're compelled by the Spirit, our lives find their worth in one thing and one thing alone, spreading the good news of God's matchless grace. The Holy Spirit births a life that is grace-based, not guilt-based. That's compelling to the core. I need his motivation every morning. I need him to compel me to go to places I don't want to go. I need that inside of me. Without that, I'm just a leaf blowing in the wind and I am a flimsy, limp noodle. But with God's strength compelling me and warning me, he's like, you can go through and your life's worth nothing to you. Keep your eyes on that aim, on that prize and go after it and keep telling people about the grace of God in your life. I was reading a while back, and it, it kind of gave the Trinity all in one verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or friendship or relationship with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we use the name Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we use the name God and it's the Holy Spirit and they're all God. But Jesus is, you know, up there at the right hand of the Father and God is up in heaven and he's spirit and he sent the Holy Spirit. And if we don't build a relationship and have fellowship with him and walk in his spirit, letting us guide, guiding us into all truth, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment and all these verses, we're not going to know how to walk in step with the spirit in our life and have access to all these promises that he gives us. And I just, after the service, the, the team is going to be up here. The prayer team is going to be up here. And some of you, your heart is just fluttering inside your chest. And you've been dealing with pain. And certain parts of these verses have just been hitting you. And you're like, I need to be prayed for. I need to share something with someone. This prayer team is going to be up here to help you just sort of discern what God's doing in your life. And to pray by his spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ to God on the throne, interceding for you for power to come on you for a baptism of the Holy Spirit spirit tonight. And I want to pray a prayer by John Bailey from 1952 where he said this, and we'll close with this. O Spirit of God, abide with us. Inspire all our thoughts. Pervade our imaginations. Suggest all of our decisions. Order all of our doings. Be with us in our silence and in our speech, in our haste and in our leisure, in company and in solitude, in the freshness of the morning and in the weariness of the evening. And give us grace at all times humbly to rejoice in thy mysterious companionship. That mysterious companionship. Like, Are, are we a Pentecostal church around here? 
maybe not the denomination Pentecostal, but we believe in the Pentecost that happened in Acts 2. So yeah, we're a church of the Pentecost. Are you a charismatic church? Like, uh, we're not maybe the charismatic church that you maybe grew up in, but we believe the Holy Spirit's activity and we're gonna function out of that charisma that he puts inside of us by his grace. And we're asking God to do what he did in the early church when he came with wind and fire and just took guys and gals that could not get their act together. And when he filled them up, everything changed. And so we give ourselves to you, God, in this mysterious companionship with your spirit, God. Help our church and our children in this community to experience the wildfire of your presence spreading, not because of our frenetic, frantic, psychotic energy that we whoop up in our strength, but by the energy and strength and power that is endued on us when we receive your Holy Spirit and the fullness of his desire to live his activity through our lives. We've done it so long without his power. So Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us. We want to walk with you. We want to listen to you. We want to follow your promptings. We want to follow your warnings. We want to be compelled by you, fill our spirit with your spiritual gifts, with your spiritual fruits. When we don't have them in our strength, it cannot be by our human effort. It must be by the Holy Spirit. The human spirit can only get us so far for so long. We need your Holy Spirit to get us to the end, Lord, so that when we stand before you, we can say to you, thanks for sending your Holy Spirit. Jesus, it was better than when you are in one place at one time with one people with like a maximum radius of travel of 50 miles because the Spirit has taken over the world. And so we ask for your spirit to cover the Gaza Strip and the nation of Israel today with all Palestinian believers and all believers in Israel and your people, your chosen people. We pray over them and we pray your spirit right now will flood their hearts and their homes, bring protection, bring strength and provision that doesn't make sense. We ask that right now right now to come down and to fill them the way you did in Acts 2. Give them wisdom, give them strength, prompt their hearts, encourage them, God, God by your spirit, and fill them with joy in their pain and in their fear. Unexplainable joy that doesn't make sense. We need you, God. We need your Holy Spirit. Help our church to ever follow you and to be in fellowship with you. To never do it without you in our own strength. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You have a good night. You good tonight? You good tonight? All right.